This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we tackle your questions on whether to be nice or not to people who hit on you, tutoring troubles, responding to baby announcements, and how bad should you feel for canceling on a friend when you're sick? All that plus an etiquette quiz from our grandmother in our Postscript segment. That's all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we're from the Emily Post Institute. We had quite the week last week. Woo! Did we ever! It was our big Train the Trainer week where we actually train people to teach Emily Post etiquette. And they come up to wonderful Burlington, Vermont for an entire week. And we spend all day in sessions going over in detail how to teach our business etiquette seminars and our children's programming. And it's something we've been doing for over 10 years now here in Burlington, Vermont, for four years, five years? Six, maybe? Long Long enough enough. (laughs) that it actually has this very familiar feel to it that um, I'm starting to really enjoy. It's amazing. And I've got to say, we had a smaller group this session, and I am absolutely amazed. First of all, I love the fact that some of the folks that came to get trained, they had this idea that maybe it would be like 200 people in a big class or that, you know, we had instructors that would come in and train. And it was so wonderful to see how excited they were that there were uh, five in the business class. And it was intimate. It was people really got to know each other. You and myself and my father and your mother are the four teachers and we spend every day, all day with you. It was so wonderful to see how excited they were by the experience as a whole and then how well they bonded. Well, and, and this is this. Yeah, what have you got? I, I was thinking about how uh, people who have listened to this show for years have heard us talk about these trainings before. Yeah. And one of my favorite parts that I think I've even said on this show is the toast that your father gives on the concluding dinner. The, um, and I, I'm almost hesitant to even mention it because <laughs> it's nice when it uh, happens as a surprise for the people that were involved. Right. And this year, that toast took on a slightly different flavor because um, some of the members of the group felt inspired to, to stand up well. and give toasts of their own yeah. or sort of say things about their time together. And there was a particularly hysterical toast slash roast that happened? No, it was more... It, this You're talking about Kate. Yes. Yes. Kate, what she did... So these... Um, we had a group of all women this time. Uh, typically, we do have men and women, but this just happened to be a week that we had all women. And they 
really bonded and they had a lot in common. So what she had done was she took about 25 things from the week that had bonded everyone or had been memorable moments or had been funny things that were happening. It it was wonderful. She recited them and she had people laughing and being like there were all moments, too. It was lovely. Free association stand up poetry that had (laughs) the the, the whole room in tears and laughter. It was um, was uh, wonderful. It really was. It was such it was the moment that really stood out for me. That's a good one. And what stood out for me was the next person who stood up and toasted. And that was Denise. And she brought up the fact and this I just I had never thought about this that much. But she said, I couldn't believe, you know, you've got mostly um, mothers and wives who came to this this time. And she said, you know, we are often so worried about other people and always thinking about our schedules and what we have to prepare and make happen for the next thing. And she said, Every single thing was taken care of. And I was so proud of our team when she said that because she said we were actually able to forget about all of the task lists and the phone calls and the emails waiting for us at home. And we could focus solely on the material because all of our food, all of our transportation, all of our lodging, everything was taken care of. And I just hadn't realized how much those logistical things make it easier for the participants to actually focus on what they're here to learn and what they've paid to learn. And that was it kind of was one of those moments like, oh, well, I'm assuming it's like when you get a thank you note from your guest who's just come to visit and they mention things that you didn't think would be such niceties and they really were. And you're like, oh, I did an okay job. Thank you for telling me that. It, It made me feel really proud of our team. Well, likewise. So a little tip of the hat to Steve Putner, who does incredible work putting that whole event together, both um, organizing the people that are coming, but also organizing the experience of that training, all those logistics that you that you're talking and about. And also to Susan Iverson, who uh, works in our office as our accountant, and she did an amazing job of making sure that our office looked ready to go when people came to visit and being that support, that person who walks in and says, is there anything I can do? And even if there's nothing, it's just really nice to hear somebody offer to help, right? Absolutely. So a great big thank you to all of our attendees for coming and making it such a special event and for all of the the unsung heroes at the Emily Post Institute who also do some really great work to make that event happen. We hope that we get to tell you about a lot more fun trainings in the future. But now we have a show to get to. We do. Should we get to some questions? I like that idea. Perhaps you can help me with a problem. I'd like your advice, Jim. My advice? Yes, I've got quite a serious problem. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860 and leave a message. Our first question this morning comes from Facebook, and we've titled it Dating Doubts. Good morning. I'm a 23-year-old single woman living on my own for the first time, and I'm at a total loss of what to do in my situation. I've always sought to be a polite person. Recently, since I've been on my own, a lot of men have been hitting on me, some in distasteful ways, some not. But I recognize the courage it takes a man to walk up to a woman knowing they could be rejected. So I always decline politely, despite the manner in which I was asked out. Sometimes the man won't take no for an answer and persists and insists. I continue to decline politely until they go away. My friends get upset with me and say I need to be mean when guys hit on me. They say I am too nice. 
in my opinion, I should not be reprimanded for being nice. I don't understand why my friends get mad at me for it. Am I wrong? Am I being a pushover? Is there a polite way to decline an offer that isn't necessarily considered nice? I'm wondering both Daniel and Lizzie's opinions on the topic, as I'm affected being a woman, but the men are affected as well. Thank you. Much love. MJ. MJ, I sympathize with you, girl, man. (laughs) I'm with you. I think it takes a lot of courage for someone to walk, anybody, man or woman, to walk up to someone that they, they are attracted to and say hi and hope that it goes well. And whether they do that well or not, you're right to recognize there's some courage in it. Them not doing it well, though, is not something you have to tolerate, but it also doesn't mean you have to be mean. And I like the fact that you are holding up the kind of gold standard of saying, I don't have to be rude to someone just because they're being rude to me. I have been in your position where my girlfriend say, you need to be mean or don't tolerate that. This side or the other thing. And I say, you know what? I'm doing what feels right to me in this situation, and I'm going to hold myself up the way I prefer to hold myself up. And I know that I can make boundaries. I know I can, if I have to ask for someone else's help, you know, if I need it, I know I can do that. Um, You know, whether that's at a bar that I frequent and I say, hey, Jim, this gentleman's really bothering me. I'm going to move over to the end of the bar. Do you think you could help me out? Something like that is one way to go. But also just being firm and saying, I'm really not interested and I'd appreciate it if, if you stopped asking at this point and just turning around then and hanging out with your girlfriends. I like the fact that you're out with your girlfriends so you've got people to turn to. But if you were on your own, that firm, clear, no, you don't even have to say, I appreciate you asking. You can just say, no, I'm not interested. Have a nice evening. It does, it, you don't even have to be mean about it. Just clear, clear and firm. And if you have to say it again, you say it again. And then you just stop talking to them. I, I just heard the first word that was one of the two words I had written down yeah. that's somewhere between um, overly kind and mean. I was thinking firm and direct. Yes. Being very clear, not equivocating in your no. And maybe having that idea of firmness and directness might help you find some of that middle territory that that makes it a more solid no without treading into that obviously inappropriate territory of being mean to someone, which we absolutely want to stay away from. We talk all the time on the show about the art of good etiquette being finding that kind or benevolent truth and the degree to which you want to play the role of the artiste, Um, the degree to which you want to recognize the good ask and the courage that it takes for someone to approach you well with a a kind rejection. I think that is a really appropriate thought to be having. But I also like the way Lizzie was really drawing some, some firm boundaries that human attention is a gift and no one can expect you to give them your attention. You can always ask someone for attention, but you can't ever assume it or expect it. And it's completely appropriate for you to deny someone that attention. I, I like the way Lizzie mentioned you can just turn away. That just because someone approaches you doesn't mean that you have to acknowledge them if that approach is disrespectful and inappropriate. And, and it's really up to you to decide what you consider an appropriate approach. And you're not obligated to reply to somebody just because they're approaching you. And I also think that's a really important boundary to have um, in your own mind so that you feel safe whatever situation you find yourself in. Absolutely. Another thought that might be helpful that I was thinking about in, in response to your question, because it's such a good question. This is such a tricky moment, and it's yeah. it's an emotional moment. And uh, the degree of that emotion can be, can be greater or less. For some people, it's a low-stakes ask. It's a low-stakes moment. They're just curious if they can get a number or they want to take you out sometime, and that, that is not a loaded question for them. For right. other people... 
Well, it, 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 it could be a year of introversion, and this is the moment that they're actually going to come out of their shell and approach someone and give it a try. Does anyone else think that Dan is just so sweet suggesting that? Because my brain is going, or it's an issue of safety, and there's some creep who's hitting on you who might follow you out of the bar, who might, you know, really make an event. I mean, this is this is why you hear women saying, you have to be mean and you have to be firm, is because it can get dangerous quickly. So you're recognizing the scale of... Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show benign and sweet and lovely all the way to terrifying and welcome to the world of dating (laughs) absolutely yeah so there are two thoughts that i have for thinking about if an ask is a good ask or not yeah one is that a good ask if it goes well if if something develops from it it's by nature a difficult conversation because it's about a controversial topic dating or your love life so what makes you aware that someone is approaching that conversation with the care that it deserves? Well, that there's a sense of discretion or privacy, that they're asking you in a way that it's not going to be awkward or embarrassing for you to say no. So it's not a coworker asking you out in front of other coworkers oh, or something so like this. it's not Tom Cruise singing a song in the middle of a bar and putting a ton of pressure on someone? As your father <laughs> is, is uh, fond of saying that yeah. those things that we see in romantic comedies, the modeled behavior that often works in the movies isn't necessarily suggested in real life. Um, (laughs) You want the person to be testing the waters, to be um, willing to feel you out a little bit. And that that means that they're looking at you for replies or or cues as to what your reply is. And that's whether or not you maintain eye contact, whether or not you keep your attention with them, whether you brush them off quickly or engage a little more deeply. 
You're hoping someone's going to pick up on those subtleties if you're really not into even being asked and out at all, that they're going to pick up on your kind of like, oh, hi, yep, and then you turn back to your girlfriends. That would be an indication you're not interested in being asked at all. Exactly, that they're making an effort not to be angry or... attention. Yes, yes and that they're trying not to be angry or emotional, that it's a clean right. ask, it's a flat ask, that they're not threatening or aggressive either with their the, the, the degree of emotionality or outright anger. The final element to having any difficult conversation that's so important is a willingness to listen. So if you're making that ask and you hear no, your willingness to accept that no and accept it cleanly is a really important part of of establishing the standing to make that ask in the first place. So I think for anybody thinking about asking someone out, be prepared for that no. Be prepared to receive it well. And if you're delivering that no and someone's not hearing it or isn't willing to hear it, I think that's a really good indication that they're not prepared to have the conversation. It's okay to really shut it down and take your attention elsewhere. Exactly. There is a difference between being polite and letting someone walk all over you, like you said, being a pushover, MJ. And you don't have to be those things. And you get to decide whether you are or you're not. Your, your friends don't have to decide that. You set your boundaries. You set your limits and your expectations for both your behavior and what you're willing to tolerate. And I think as long as you are strong in your mind about if something felt uncomfortable, what would I do about it? If you know your exit strategies for if something felt uncomfortable. So exit strategies are turning to your friends and really having them help you be removed from a situation or, or, or at least being having them there so that you can, you know, have someone to turn to. If you're not out with your girlfriends, knowing that you can turn to the bartender or a wait staff person or someone at the establishment. Now, I'm not putting the responsibility of them saving you on, you know, I think we have to be a little careful of that, but at least knowing that you could turn to someone at the establishment and say, hey, I need just a little bit of help or this person's really bothering me. You know, could you call me a cab and make sure I get into it alone, please? Something like that. So know your exit strategies so that you feel safe. If anyone really does cross those lines with you and you know how to shut it down and say, no, and I don't want to talk to you anymore this evening. Have a good night. And then do whatever you need to do to get yourself out of that. And there's nothing mean about that. There is nothing mean about putting up those boundaries, especially when someone else has chosen to cross them. So before we leave this topic completely, I want to ask my cousin to outline something for us that I read in her first book and was really <laughs> helpful for me to read in my 20s. Um, and it was a section It was about the good ask. And it was about the elements of a good ask, how you ask someone out and do it well, because it's not always done so well. No, it's not always done so well. And it's really easy. So a good ask is very clear. It's, you know, um, maybe they've been talking to you for a minute and they've really enjoyed the time and, they, and, you know, maybe they have to go or something. But usually towards the end of a very first interaction, someone will say, hey, I've really enjoyed talking with you. They let you know that, that they've enjoyed your company. And I would love to take you out to dinner next Friday night. Or I would love to go for a dog walk with you if you'd like to accompany me and Charlie sometime, you know. But those are nice because they're specific. They're clear. Hopefully someone will actually suggest a specific date or time, or they'll say, could I give you a call so that we could pick a good date? And that those are the things that let you know what's coming next, and you can know what to expect from someone, and then either they will follow through and do it, or they won't, and you'll know where you stand. But I think a good ask is really clear, it's really defined, and it's something that you can actually say yes or no to. Saying, hey, do you want to hang out sometime is really lame. Yeah, sure. I'd love to hang out sometime. 
what next? Now they actually need to, to, to invite you to ask. do something. <laughs> um, and it might just be that the good ask in a moment where you meet someone at a grocery store or a bar or out for a walk in the park or something like that, that good ask might simply be for a contact, either your email or your phone number, so or maybe it's a Facebook request so that they can get in touch with you. Um, but that might be the start to a good ask. So don't don't turn that down if you get that. Um, but a good ask does make a difference. And it, it also really shows someone's intention. So be on the lookout for that. And I hope that the dating world is something that you can really enjoy because it is a lot of fun. Being single is not such a bad thing. MJ, we really hope that that helps and that um, you get some really good dates and some good experiences. And maybe your girlfriends will take a little a, a little page from your book and realize that they don't need to be mean to set boundaries and be clear. Our next question has to do with baby announcements. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I became a faithful listener to your podcast a few months ago and love your awesome insights into modern etiquette. I also now have a question of my own. I am British and I live in France and I have a great group of international friends. Many of my friends are now having babies, and I've noticed that the Americans in particular mail out birth announcement cards that they have had specially printed, featuring a photo of the baby, key info about him or her, such as weight, etc. These aren't invitations to a christening or to come and meet the baby. They seem to be informational and a way of making an announcement. Up till now, I've tended to simply send a quick text message to the mum or dad when I receive the card saying, I got the cute card, she or he is adorable, lots of love, or something similar. I'm now wondering if there's any other expectation on me to send a reciprocal card or gift or any other point of etiquette I should be observing. We don't tend to send these cards in British culture, or not in my experience anyway. I hope you can clear this up as I wouldn't want to come across as rude while actually being very happy for the new families. Best, Catherine. Catherine, thanks for the question from across the pond. We appreciate it. It's always good to hear about uh, different traditions and then the the way that different traditions appear in different cultures, that you really perceive this as a, a more American than British or French tradition. I really like hearing about that. And um, I wouldn't doubt your experience. Uh, that is very much the way that we take the temperature of the public and figure out what is new. I think you're smart to keep an eye on it. This is a, an old tradition that might have a slightly new look, but it's an old tradition. When you get a birth announcement, there is no obligation to respond. It is absolutely an opportunity. And I love the way you're firing off a quick text message that's absolutely appropriate, that's right in the, the smart territory for degree of response. If you felt so inspired as to get out your stationery and write a handwritten letter, that would obviously be um, really moving or touching to someone to know that they had connected with you in that way, but it's absolutely not necessary. It's not an obligation. And I really like the way that you, you use this opportunity to make that little connection, to send a text, to acknowledge the receipt. I will also just confess that I have a refrigerator covered with these right now. It is definitely something that I'm experiencing in my life, and I don't know if it's a, a new trend or tradition as much as just that I've hit that stage in life where a lot of friends and family are having babies, but um, I'm definitely seeing them right around the time of a birth, serving almost like an announcement, and I'm also seeing this type of card almost replace the annual holiday newsletter that used to go out or that that holiday check-in that some families would send to everybody in their contact list. Now I'm getting a, a much shorter pictorial version <laughs> that goes right on the refrigerator and um, is often adorable and much appreciated. 
The other thing to remember, too, about this, Catherine, is that you don't have to send a gift, is that that's that's one thing a lot of people think that whether it's a graduation announcement or a wedding announcement or a birth announcement, that an announcement carries that obligation of a gift, and it absolutely does not. So you are truly in good stead replying with your text message. I love Dan's suggestion, by the way, of breaking out the stationery and replying with a handwritten note if you'd like to, because it is a, it's a nice consideration. I think it's a thoughtful thing to do. This is kind of a big moment in somebody's life. And, you know, for distance reasons or guest list or whatever, you know, you might not have gone to the baby shower or a wedding shower or the wedding itself or for any of the announce, you know, the graduation party. But at least writing back and acknowledging in some way, shape or form, I think is a great way to say, oh, you know, I got your announcement. I'm so happy for you. You know, thank you for including me in the the world of people you'd want to know about your big life events. And I think that's exactly what your text message just do. So don't think you have to go above and beyond that. But I I like the fact that you're taking a minute to think about it. And I think it sounds like you're doing absolutely everything in good stead. Catherine, I often say we hope this helps, but it sounds like you've already got this one well under control. Keep up the good work. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is titled, Regrets, Not Guilt. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. What is the best way to cancel last minute on a social obligation that you previously committed to but no longer feel able to attend due to a sudden illness? In this case, I texted my friend the morning of her birthday party and apologized that I would unfortunately not be able to attend after all, as I was lying in bed coughing and sneezing, but wanted to treat her to a brunch in an upcoming weekend to make it up to her. Was there more I should have done? My friend texted back and said she understood, but I still feel bad. Should I have gone to her party anyway? It was a casual but catered event at her family's house over an hour's drive from where I live, if that makes a difference. Thanks in advance. And I love the show, Sarah. I think absolutely nothing else is needed, Sarah. I think that, you know, illness happens. And any friend that would hold it against you is definitely not a friend. Um, And they might be disappointed and they might express that. But boy, that's different from making someone feel guilty over it or telling them they're a bad friend. And it doesn't sound like your friend did that. But I think you should have every confidence that if you're really not feeling well, if you really are sick and you're going to be getting other people sick or you are just going to feel awful, then absolutely you need to cancel. And doing what you did is the right way to do it. I love the fact that you added an 
offer to go out to brunch and do something special to celebrate together at a different time, especially when you're getting together with someone to celebrate them, like for a birthday or, you know, any any other kind of celebratory party. I think it's really important to recognize that and and recognize that you were going to do something special. This wasn't just a regular let's grab coffee hangout. And so you want to honor that special thing and not have your friend lose out on a special moment with you. And I think that's great. But after that, girl, let go of the guilt. You already feel sick. You don't need to add feeling guilty on top of it. One of the great joys of giving advice is when we get to say, absolve yourself of that guilty feeling. It's only as good as it's useful to inspire you to do that follow-up action that you said you were going to do. And I trust you. I think you're going to do it. In fact, I, I have so much confidence that we can wrap this answer up and not belabor the point. The text message indicates that you were heard, that you that your message was received. So that personal follow-up is really going to put a bow on this whole situation. Sarah, we hope you are feeling better and that you and your friend enjoy your brunch together on an upcoming weekend. Our next question begins, tutoring troubles. Hi, Lizzie and Daniel. I'm a new listener to the podcast, and I'm already enjoying it so much. The questions you answer really prompt me to become more self-aware. Recently, I've had a sticky situation. Around finals week last semester, a good friend of mine asked me if I had tutors for math and science. I did, and I happily gave her their names and phone numbers. This, however, backfired. She ended up taking the slots I would normally use right before tests, which are nights I would not want to wait an extra hour for because I live far from my school, as does she. My friend would also shorten the slot available to me. For example, she scheduled a session from 6 to 7, so I could only be with my tutor from 5 to 6, even if I felt like I needed to be with her from 5 to 7. This has become increasingly frustrating as the new school year kicks off because my tutors and I are balancing busy schedules and sometimes last-minute planning is a necessity. I feel it would be unfair to my tutors to take away their business, and I really hold my relationship with my friend dear, so I'm not sure how to approach the situation. I've already tried scheduling my sessions earlier than she does, which has worked, but it feels like an unfair competition. Please let me know what you think would be the best solution. Thank you so much and look forward to hearing your response. Sarah, a confused high school student. I love that uh, the high school student is talking about how she's listening to an etiquette podcast and becoming more aware. And I just that always brightens my day. And <laughs> and it's so well written. It expresses know. herself so clearly. Sarah, thank you for your question. And look at how much that she's thinking about all the parties involved. Her friend is an hour away from mm -hmm. school as well. The tutor's schedule. This feels unfair, but I gave the number out. What do you think? I, I want to start with some advice that my, our grandfather gave me many years ago. <laughs> really? And he said, the best way to keep a secret is not to tell anyone. <laughs> and I, I have this little trick that I use to get concert tickets. And I'm not going to tell anyone. It's not that I don't have friends that want concert tickets. But once you tell one person that, you don't know how many people they're going to tell. And then those people are all going to become your competition. And my cousin Lizzie oh, has something really? she wants Daniel, to say right because now. Because I huh? believe I was trying to get concert tickets to see the Stones and Dylan the other week. And um, you didn't share your secrets with me, did you? In fact, you, you actually 
bad. Yeah, you, you were not helpful. So maybe... Okay, you're keeping your secret. You're teasing, listening to teasing, our grandfather. Teasing secrets on a podcast isn't the best way to keep uh-huh, them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, back to the question. This is a trickier situation. This is a trickier situation. Because this isn't necessarily a, a secret that you want to keep. This isn't an obvious secret. In fact, your friend has asked you for a recommendation of a tutor. You have a tutor. You have a tutor that you would feel good recommending. Mm-hmm. And you want to support that person. You want to support that person in their business. The unfortunate reality of the situation is that your friend then does become competition in terms of scheduling those spots and those spots that, frankly, are going to matter to both of you in the same ways because they're around the same school deadlines, tests and ends of semester. There isn't really any good advice here about what you can do to manage the way your friend schedules or the way your tutor is doing her scheduling or his scheduling. The... The, the really salient piece of etiquette advice here is that etiquette is a transformational tool when used as a tool to hold yourself accountable and to assess yourself and your own behavior. And I think this is one of those situations where however you might feel about the injustice of this situation, and there are going to be times where it might feel unfair. Like you told your friend about this and you you shared, you were generous in terms of the way you shared, and now there are consequences for you personally. You aren't getting the same... Uh, availability that you were used to to finding before. So there's a cost to you and managing your emotions, holding yourself accountable to your friend's right to uh, be in the marketplace of looking for a tutor and your tutor's right to, to sell and book their services um, is, is the accountability that you're looking for in this situation. So the solution, I say you start scheduling further in advance. There's there's nothing you can't go to your friend and say, hey, I know I gave you my tutor's number, but you're taking the slots that I want. And that's really upsetting because I had my tutor first and you wouldn't even know about her if it hadn't been for me. Now, that's the thing we all want to say. We want to be like, come on, like, don't do this to me. Don't you realize you're eating into my tutoring time? But that's just not what you can do. You offered up the number. Your friend is getting on it and booking that tutor and doing it at the best time available for her. And those slots are open because you haven't scheduled them. So my advice to you is to go to the tutor and say, I want to start scheduling further in advance. Does that work for you? And then see what you can do about getting the slots that work for you. My other option for you is, is this something that you would, would your tutor and would your friend be willing to do joint sessions? So the two of you could work together from five to seven if you needed to. That might be another option. I would not expect to get a discount for joint sessions, but I would expect that that would be something a tutor might be open to, depending on how they like to work. The thing that I hear most, especially because I am a babysitter, is that parents run into this with babysitting. And so if you choose to have children later in life, you may run into this again. And it's interesting because I've heard from the mom circles that I babysit for that the appropriate thing to do is for mom who has gotten babysitter's number as a forwarding, you know, or isn't the original procurer of the babysitter? I don't know. Hirer of the babysitter? Finder. Finder of the babysitter? So we'll say first mom and second mom. First mom who babysitter's been working with gives out number. Babysitter's okay with it. Mom's okay with it. What I've heard that they do is that then second mom should call 
first mom and say, hey, are you using, or, you know, have you hired the babysitter for anything this month? And then call babysitter and schedule. I say the babysitter needs to be honest about what she chooses to reserve for first mom and what she chooses to just say, hey, you haven't scheduled me yet, so I'm going to take the best option that comes my way. Um, but it is kind of like a thing when when moms steal babysitters or dads, parents in general, steal babysitters from other moms and dads. It's it's like not, it's a real thing. People get really upset about that. And I, I felt like tutoring was a little bit similar, but not quite. So uh, the, yeah. the parallel in my parents life is house sitters. Yes. And my parents go on these long distance bike rides with their friends and they've shared the names and numbers of their house sitters. But they're all trying to book house sitters for the same bike trips, the ones they take together. And they're there is a certain courtesy that's emerged in that circle where the initial finder of the house sitter kind of gets first dibs. Yes. And that's definitely, I think, something to, to be aware of, to keep in mind. But I also know of house sitters that have climbed the the ladder of house sitting gigs where there's a certain job that they hey. would prefer. Well, sometimes it's because the house, the people, it's easier, it pays more, something like that. And I think mm-hmm. that the person doing the service is always in control over who they say yes to. But I and just like the tutor situation, the tutor's always in control of what they say yes to. Um, but it, it is kind of funny how this works and how people choose to reserve space for other people for these types of services. But I think that in the tutoring situation, your best bet is to still call your tutor and try to book for an ad, far in advance and ask about joint sessions because those joint sessions might actually be really helpful. I think that's true. And I agree 100 percent that there isn't a sample script. There's no way to approach your friend about observing the courtesy of checking with you first before scheduling. Exactly. If that's not something that they've identified and internalized, I would make a little mental note for myself moving forward. This but friend doesn't pay attention to this kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. And and I would take that, that very good sound advice of scheduling as soon as you know when you'd like a spot. Sarah, we hope this helps you be a little less confused and we really hope that you have a fabulous year at school and that you ace those tests. That's the end of our questions for this week, and we really thrive on your questions. And you can send your next question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone at 802-866-0860. On Twitter and Facebook, you can use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sure, you're right, but there's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. Your questions are obviously at the heart of our show, but so is your feedback. And producer Chris Roberts is here with some of your reactions to our advice. Chris, what have you got for us today? I've got some interesting feedback. Hello there, Lizzie and Dan. We are going to take another quick dip into the world of Pokemon Go, which you explored in really interesting fashion in episode 99. A listener, Rachel, got back to us. Rachel's sister-in-law and boyfriend visited her recently, both of them Pokemon-obsessed. 
They spent three hours the first evening of their visit playing the game. They talked about it nonstop at the dinner table with people who had no experience with it. They seem to be in this Pokemon bubble the whole night. And Rachel is even wondering why they didn't try to be better Pokemon ambassadors, as you touched on in episode 99, and explain the game to those who weren't familiar with it. And Rachel writes, This encounter leads me to my point. It might do well to add to the list of etiquette concerns associated with the game that the people in your real life should always take precedence over playing the game, at least in my opinion. I would not have minded the two of them taking some time to take a walk and play together sometime during their visit, but I quickly became disheartened and felt pushed aside when they promised to spend quality time with us and spent their time instead on their phones. No amount of Pokemon, no matter how rare, will replace the time that one has the opportunity to spend with one's family. Thank you for the show. It is always so refreshing and inspiring. Best, Rachel. Wow, that is such an important reminder. I think people just get so obsessed with this game and they're in this world so completely they they forget about people around them. It's true, but I also don't think it's a new phenomenon. I have vivid, vivid memories of being an elementary school guest at my friend Greg's house and just wanting to play Atari so bad. And all Greg wanted to do was get his Star Wars toys and go outside and play with Star Wars toys. And I just wanted to play Atari because I didn't have one. I just wanted to play and play and play. And I'll never forget the conversation I had with him where he said, you know, when you come over, I really want to hang out with you and I want to play with you. And if we're playing on, on Atari the whole time, I don't feel like I've done that. And it was one of the first times that someone in my little elementary school world held me accountable to a social interaction. But it was a video game distraction then. And it was a 8-bit bit matrix game or whatever. I don't even know the technical <laughs> yeah, right? term, but it was an, an early version. It was not as sophisticated or as subtle or engaging as Pokemon Go. And I do think there's a certain seductive nature to to that game and the environment that we play it in. But it's a it's also a social problem that's as old as as distraction. I like the fact that Rachel's comment talks about what she just wishes people would understand and adhere to without really asking, what can I say, you know, to my sister-in-law and her boyfriend during this visit? Because I think it's it's a little hard. I think on the next visit, if, if it's happening again, you might be able, especially because this is family, to call them out in the moment and say, hey, guys, we're really here to visit with you. Could we please put Pokemon away until, you know, the visit's over? Or maybe you guys could go for a walk after dinner and do it. But we really want to play with you and we don't have the game. So this isn't really a fun interaction right now. Um, And I think that's the kind of thing that you could start to broach. But I I like the fact that what Rachel's really asking people for is to be aware and to remember that your visits are supposed to be about spending quality time together. And please don't let your devices, don't let your games, don't let your trend of the moment. um, And even if Pokemon Go winds up being a thing for years to come, it's still it's something they're really focused on in their lives at this moment. Don't let that overshadow the personal connections that you have with people. It's a wonderful reminder. And I love that Rachel even looked at it as the ambassador. They weren't being good ambassadors for the game. It made Rachel not like the game as opposed to Rachel joining in and wanting to play. So remember, people who love Pokemon Go and other such games, that you have the opportunity to get people hooked and excited and to do it really well and and not to have it become something that becomes alienating. Moving on, we also heard from Meredith, who wrote in about baby showers, which you delved into in episode 103, 
in response to a woman who offered to throw a baby shower for her daughter-in-law to be her future daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law asked that she coordinate the shower with her mother. And that created all kinds of awkward situations in terms of who to invite to the shower, among other things. Meredith, a self-professed etiquette nerd, by the way, bravo to you, Meredith, says, I loved your response, but I still have one tiny question. The writer stated that this is the first baby shower for her son, but the fourth for his fiance. I have always been taught that a baby shower is to welcome a person to parenthood the first time they have a baby. While I can see the reasoning and generosity when it comes to the father's side hosting a shower, after all, it is his first child, it seems the mother's family would have already had a chance to throw her a shower for her first child, and the people she would want to invite may have already attended the first time around. Additionally, I have heard some conflicting advice about second or third baby showers, including that if there's a significant gap between the ages of your children, or if you are expecting twins, a shower for a second pregnancy is more accepted. I hope you're able to clarify this sticky etiquette issue for me. Meredith. So we await your clarification, Lizzie and Dan. Meredith, I absolutely can clarify it for you. I think you're right to notice that this is the father's first baby shower and the mother's fourth. And I am with you that if it's her fourth, I really think it's okay to let the, the dad's family take over and host that shower. And that on the one hand, it is mom of mother to be now for the fifth time. And so, you know, we've, we've been through it before, but at the same time, it's always special. And that is a tight bond between mother and daughter. So I like the fact that there was the idea of extending it to the mother's mom, the, new, the grandmother. But I also can see your point that, you know, maybe that wasn't an extension that really needed to happen and that the mother of mom to be didn't need to be really jumping in on that or could have said you know, why don't you guys host it? It's really okay. We've been through this before. In terms of second, third, fourth baby showers, they actually are perfectly fine. They are often called sprinkles. Um, There are many reasons why you might do one. You could also do what another etiquette expert called a sip and see, which is rather than an actual baby shower, it's an invitation to come and meet the baby and have a party that's not about gifts, but it's about gathering and celebrating that birth, even if it is a third, fourth, fifth child. But I really think we need to understand that if the baby's gender is different, if, like you said, it's twins, if the kids are really far apart, maybe they've gotten rid of all those baby clothes and things that they would have been able to use. So um, there are lots of reasons for why second and third showers can happen. What we try to suggest is that think about doing them in ways that don't look like you're just asking for a grab for gifts. Invite people to bring over items they're finished using. You know, there's a lot of exchange, as Dan knows, because he's starting to get into it. There's a lot of exchange among family and friends of baby gear that's still really great gear. It's in good condition. You can reuse it. You don't have to say, oh, second and third baby shower. I'm going to buy the most expensive brand new spanking thing because it's a new child. You can find ways to make it not look like you're just asking for everyone to pay a lot of attention and money and time towards you again. And this is 
correct me if I'm wrong. Help me remember yeah, the history please. here. That that this is a, a develop. This is an evolution of the trend. That there yep. was a more traditional rule that was that was really outlined in this question, which yes. said the traditional rule was that you you had a baby shower for your first baby, and it was never thrown by very close relatives. It was always thrown by a friend or a, a more distant aunt or uncle or something. And and that was to prevent that appearance of... Of, I'm trying to get gifts for my child, or my sis, you know, my sister deserves presents. It was, the idea was not to look like you were grabbing for gifts. I think that's such an important point, that that as that tradition evolves, that the, the, the way that tradition might look will change. People move more, they're not living as close to the family and friends they grew up with as they used to. That the spirit of that original etiquette was to not appear like you were making a grab for gifts, because the invite to the shower... Is about gifts. Carries with it the idea that we're going to shower this person with gifts. I love the sprinkles and the, the sprinkles the sip and, and, sip and see. Yeah, absolutely adorable. Yeah, um, a- as a way to evolve that tradition and allow for the new lives that people are living now, compared to the time when this tradition was established. Yep. But you also still try to observe that spirit of what's important here is celebrating and 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 doing something for new parents really supporting them but not creating that impression of of it being a a a grab for gifts to use that expression again meredith thank you so much for your thoughtful insights on this issue and we truly hope that for for that particular family that the baby shower was really something that they were then able to navigate and enjoy together and celebrate his first child and her fifth child You mean that's all there is, just what we've talked about? Oh, no. But you already know a great deal. And you can learn still more by watching Mother and Dad and other people who have good manners. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we explore an exciting nuance of a single piece of etiquette. And today we've got something a little bit different for you. As we were digging through the archives at the Emily Post Institute, preparing for the training that we told you about earlier in the show, Lizzie Post came across a little something that we thought we might like to share with all of you. Absolutely. We've got a quiz from our grandmother, Elizabeth Post. Uh, Mud, as we lovingly called her, which was derived from Mudda, which comes from that wonderful song hello mother hello father and now it's stuck in my head and everybody's (laughs) head but that was we we very lovingly called her mud and she had a newspaper column it was a bell mcclure syndicate uh called doing the right thing um and this was in the 60s and 70s that she wrote it and every now and again she would post a quiz so I thought it would be really fun to test our producer, Chris Roberts, 1966. I do not know how old Chris is, so I don't know if he was even alive in 1966, but we thought we would test his 1966 etiquette knowledge. This sounds really fun, Lizzie. <laughs> yes, we do play very fair with you, don't we, Chris? We just spring this on you. I didn't even include the quiz in the script so that you couldn't couldn't get a jump on looking up answers. That's okay. You know, privately, I kind kind of see myself as your project, almost like my fair lady. <laughs> so this is going to help me to that end. And also I thought of a lesson that my parents taught me, which is anytime you have a chance to be humiliated and it leads to a greater public good, you should do it with grace and gusto. <laughs> well, <laughs> we couldn't agree more. And we are so grateful that that's the lesson your parents taught you. 
So, Chris, we're going to get this started. Dan and I are going to alternate questions and we're going to ask the question. We're going to quiz you, get your answer, and then we will read our grandmother's answer. I also want to say that because this is etiquette from 1966, it's going to be a little bit trickier because it's not necessarily our etiquette that you hear Dan and I talk about on the show. And it's not always, as you will see from some of these questions, relevant. (laughs) The first question, Chris, if you're ready, is why are husband and wife not seated together at a dinner party? It must be because the host wants to encourage more talking amongst the guests. And when you're sitting next to your significant other, you're less likely to engage with others. It's it's almost like a cocoon and you're protected if you're shy and you won't necessarily reach out to other guests. That's my first thought. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. We've got a winner. Uh, To seat them next to others stimulates the interchange of new ideas, which makes social life worthwhile. After all, they can talk to each other any other time. No, it is true. And it's funny because couples often they want to be seated together that, you know, especially if it's they're at a table where they don't know anybody. But it really does stimulate conversation and, and keeps things rolling and keeps things interesting if you do separate couples out. Question number two. Dan, take us away. An elaboration. Are engaged people ever invited one without the other? Wow. I would think that in 2016, they definitely would be, but maybe way back in 1966, they weren't. But I I can't think of the reason why I'm so advanced. Let let me jump in and, and, and save the day. Because your your initial instinct was absolutely correct. The answer is if the party includes men and women, both members of the engaged couple are always invited. All right. Well, I can accept that. I can even live by Me that. Me too. I like the clarity. And I think here we're definitely talking about a, a dinner party or something like that. It's not like we're talking about football on Sunday with your friends where it's totally appropriate to not invite the couple together if one party or the other doesn't really love football. Absolutely. Or the bachelor party or the... Exactly. It's got to make sense for the situation. Our third question for you, Chris, is, are candles ever included in the table setting when not lighted? Oh, of course. They look so beautiful, whether they're lit or not. I would think for decoration, you would want them there, and maybe you might decide to light them depending on what time of day it is, but... As decorative items, they really add to the atmosphere. Boy, Chris, our grandmother would love you. Yes, candles are correctly part of a dinner or supper table setting, whether lighted or not. I repeat, I am not going to tell you how old I am, so don't ask. (laughs) Oh, so secretly you were actually our grandmother's editor on this column. No. (laughs) (laughs) So, Chris, our next question asks... Are double-fold visiting cards intended to take the place of the regular single visiting cards? Double-fold visiting cards. Gosh, I don't think I've ever been the recipient of one. So I I frankly have no idea on this one. I am just going to defer to you. I'm going to confess a similar ignorance, Chris. And I was uh, um, eager to hear that my grandmother's response was... 
the double-folded cards are intended for longer messages and invitations than those ordinarily written on visiting cards. They are not properly used as calling cards. <laughs> well, that's a relief. That is a relief. Indeed. In other words, you wouldn't want to have a big double-fold card with a message of stopped by and that's it. <laughs> oh, the things we don't have to worry about because we can text. Question number five. Is it ever proper to send printed or engraved thank you cards? Oh, good heavens. I don't mean to swear. <laughs> yes, I think... Well, no, no, I don't think it's ever improper to send whatever you wish to send. If you have access to a really nice card like that, send it away. Although now that I think about it, I don't, you can see I'm stammering here. I, you, you've stumped me once again. <laughs> well, remember, we were saying that they were printed or engraved thank you cards, which means that they are being done up by someone else. This isn't your just handwritten note that you would typically send. And the answer is that it is only proper when sent by a public personage to acknowledge kindnesses of a great number of strangers. So the idea here is that you handwrite your thank you notes. That you Well, the idea is that you handwrite your personal thank you notes, but to a large number of people, it would be okay to send something that was pre-printed or engraved. That's good advice. <laughs> I feel like nowadays it's big thank you on Facebook. Thanks for all the birthday messages. <laughs> We're going to switch from invitations and thank yous to attire. <clears throat> Our next question asks, when are gloves really necessary with evening clothes? Something I worry about every weekend. Oh my gosh, when are gloves necessary when with evening clothes? This, you know what I'm doing? I'm kind of repeating the question to give myself time That's to okay. think of an answer. Boy, I'm, I'm thinking of Audrey Hepburn for some reason right now uh, and her <laughs> totally. in the movie where uh, Moon River was... Breakfast at Tiffany's. And those, yeah. those long gloves are really elegant. I, I can't remember if my mom ever wore them. I, I don't think uh, longer gloves are appropriate unless you are in extremely formal wear and then they must match. <laughs> This is so ridiculous. <laughs> that, I, I'm good, just, good, good start. Please rescue me, um, Lizzie and Dan. Dan, yeah, what's Mud say? No, you're, you're, you're in safe territory when you're picturing Audrey Hepburn. And, and um, it, we're, we're talking evening clothes, so we're talking to the nines. White ties and tails on the coat. And even in that rarefied world, there are special occasions where the gloves come on. And the examples given here are at dinners of ceremony, formal balls, and in a box at the opera. So we're not even talking a general admission ticket at the opera, <laughs> but, but a special box ticket. So even in those really formal moments in life, the gloves are reserved for very special occasions. What does it say about me that I have not been to any events in recent or distant memory where I saw women wearing gloves? I guess it says a lot, doesn't it? I would say that it probably says you're pretty darn normal. <laughs> <laughs> And our final question is, is it proper to speak to strangers at private parties? I would have to say absolutely it is. That's how you meet people. Those are some of my favorite moments when I run into a stranger in a grocery store and we bond on the price of canned soup or something like that. I would say <laughs> absolutely. Reach out to people you don't know and exchange niceties, have a little banter. 
that's to me what makes life really, really fun. Well, and this is, you know, you are absolutely right. And our answer is yes. The fact that everyone present is a friend of the hostess is considered sufficient reason to introduce oneself to whomever one pleases at a private party. Remember, this is a you're you're at a friend's house, you know, a friend of a friend. Take the time to get to know them. It's perfectly appropriate. Chris, I think for for bringing up 1966 etiquette, you did pretty gosh darn well. It was really fun, embarrassing at times, but definitely worth it. Well, we hope all of you enjoyed our 1966 etiquette and a little delve into what our grandmother was up to back in the day when she represented Emily Post. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. Before we offer today's etiquette salute, I have a little reminder here that we want to hear from you. We want to hear about the people that are making a difference in your life, where you see good etiquette, both in the the big picture and in the everyday. So please share your next etiquette salute with us. This week's salute comes to us from Emily in Harrisonburg, Virginia. It's a beautiful reminder of how important it is to invite and welcome people we don't know into our circles. My husband and I, we just moved back to Harrisburg. We went to school at the university here and just moved back for my husband's job. He's teaching in the department that he was a student in. And I just wanted to give an etiquette salute to the other faculty who have been so welcoming and so kind to us. They've invited us into their home multiple times for dinners and especially made a point when we're out in a social setting. Members of the faculty will just make sure to come and talk with me and really make sure that I don't feel excluded, especially when the conversation tends to go towards economics, which is the department and not something that I have a background in. So I just wanted to say a big thank you to them and it definitely hasn't gone unnoticed by me, the extra effort that they've put into making us and our family feel welcome and especially making me feel welcome in their circle. So thanks so much for everything you do with the show, and I wish you guys a great next 100 episodes and hopefully many, many more. Thank you. Oh, Emily, thank you for that salute, and thank you to everyone in Harrisonburg, Virginia, who's made you and your husband feel so welcome there. I think it's particularly nice that that community has made such an effort to make you feel just as welcome and at home there as your husband must feel. Thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can reach us at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can help us out. If you love the show, subscribe on iTunes and please leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner and our show is produced by Chris Roberts. Mm -hmm.